Hey, it's Pablo. Hope you are uh, decompressing, however slowly, from your Christmas feasts. Uh, one thing we wanted to let you know before we get started here. We just made a playlist of our favorite episodes from 2022. And we think you probably will enjoy some stuff on there that you may have missed because we make a zillion episodes. So check it out. Send it to your friends, maybe. We'd appreciate that. Because these are episodes that will hold up even now um, in the present tense as we embark on the new year. And you can find that link to that playlist in our show notes. But this week, we're going to be running some selections from the past year. And the one we want to play for you today is a show we aired back in March about the Iditarod dog sled race. It's with Liz Merrill, and she tells us about a musher that she spent time with who survived a moose attack. So it is Monday, December 26th. This is ESPN Daily. Liz Merrill, the Iditarod started on March 5th. That is the most famous dog sled race in the entire world. You spent time with a woman who's competing in it for the very first time. And Liz, I'm from New York City, so this entire thing has mostly just existed in my imagination and in the movies I've seen. And in those movies, I recall, you know, this team of furry dogs with pointy ears, like, bounding through snow. I I can hear the human behind them yelling, mush. I I I feel the cold, but... You actually experienced this, like, up close and personal, right? I mean, you got to know what it's actually like to do this. Yeah, I I didn't go on the sled because I probably would have had to sign a waiver and done some kind of fitness test that I probably would have flunked. But yeah, so they were going on a long run that day, a training run, and it was one of the last ones before the Iditarod. And I followed with the dog trainer, on a snowmobile, so we were in front of them. I can't imagine what it's like to to actually stand on that sled for hours and hours and do that. But yeah, I was able to get a glimpse of it and watch it from the front, from just a few feet away. Yeah, and in terms of what it takes to stay on that sled and actually do this sport, I mean, Liz, you've covered athletes of all kinds throughout your career. You've covered incredibly famous NFL players, high school athletes just starting out. But the person that you profiled here, this professional musher named Bridget Watkins, how would you describe what kind of an athlete she is? Well, she's a five foot six ER nurse. On an average day, non-pandemic, what you're dealing with in the ER in Alaska is a little different than what you might be dealing with in New York, Pablo. The patients that they come in could be uh, bear maulings, moose stompings. She's dealing with a lot of stuff. And I think that's sort of forges this toughness. I've come to the conclusion that everyone who lives in Alaska has like this layer of toughness that most of us don't possess. And, and she's probably got it to the 10th power. Which brings us, Liz, to what happened to Bridget during her training for the Iditarod, which is the entire reason you started looking into her story in the first place. Well, it appeared uh, one morning on the Good Morning America crawl. That's how I saw uh, just a snippet of what happened. And I was sort of taken aback because I didn't think 
things like that generally happened. It seemed like sort of a bizarre occurrence. We are hearing tonight from an Arkansas native who survived a moose attack that injured her four sled dogs in the wilds of Alaska. Five News reporter Micah Wilson spoke with her today, joining us live in the studio. Micah, this is a bizarre story. It piqued my curiosity, and so I, I made a call. Are you yeah, so cold? we can go back to, let's see, we were in the story of, um, I was going to hit my, my uh, spot because I thought he was going to kill me, and are you good or not? Yeah. I thought he was going to kill me, but I knew it was going to take them a minimum of an hour to get to me. And then I also knew <clears throat> that a helicopter could not land where I was. I also knew they would have to drop someone in and basket my body out because I know way too much about the medical world of how this all works. Yeah. So I knew it was going to be bad. Some people call the Iditarod the last great race on Earth. And I get why. Those sled dogs are supposed to travel 1,000 miles through the Alaskan wilderness, through dense forest and desolate tundra and jagged mountain ranges in the freezing cold. So today, amid the 50th running of the race, Liz Merrill tells the story of one musher who had to compete not just in nature, but against it, redefining victory in the process. This is ESPN Daily. Liz Merrill, you went all the way from your home in Nebraska, here in the lower 48, up to Alaska to meet this first-time Iditarod racer named Bridget Watkins. What about her story resonated with you? Besides being an unusual story that could have been a lot more tragic, it seemed to us to be a really good example of a person who met with this major adversity and all that came with it, all the trauma and the stress in an event that, to be honest with you, seems like an impossible event to complete. We felt that that was a story of perseverance that people could connect to. And that story really centers on the specific morning last month, Liz, in February, just weeks before the Iditarod was supposed to start. And so Bridget was in peak training mode. She was just going to train with her 10 sled dogs pulling right in front of her. Her dog handler is there on a snow machine, a snowmobile, as it were, following right behind. And then what happened? They were going to do the route by her home. She lives in a log cabin home. And the route is just like a lot of places in Alaska is you're in the middle of the wilderness. It was going to be 52 miles. She actually picked certain dogs for that day that could handle some of the rigors of that, this area. It's not like going on a trail, um, like a running trail. You're going out onto a trail that's in the wilderness and there might not be cabins for miles and miles away there's a very good chance you're not going to have cell phone reception. Um, You're going to be passing through, you know, they, they cross under the Alaskan pipeline. 
they uh one of the things they'll do on this trail is they're sort of under this canopy of of down trees from uh the weight of the snow it's a really picturesque trail but you have to go out there knowing hey i'm in the middle of nowhere and it's not like i can call an uber they're probably at about the 20 mile mark five or six miles away from turning around. And, and once they did that, they rewarded them by giving them a snack. So they got these these wedges of frozen meat that they stopped and gave them. They're going along again on the trail. Now, the way they used to do the training runs is that Bridget would go first, and she had 10 dogs that day, and then there'd be another six dogs that would follow behind on the snowmobile with the dog handler, Jen Nelson. So um, Bridget keeps going up the trail and she sees a moose. Now, that's not unusual in Alaska. As a matter of fact, when I was leaving uh, one night when I was going to the airport, I saw two of them just sashaying like close to downtown uh, together, like a, a mother and a, a baby moose. Usually, you know, dog mushers and Bridget said uh, that if she would see a moose, usually all you do have to do is yell or make a little bit of noise and they, they walk away. They're not confrontational animals, even though they're so big and intimidating. She sees it and she's like, okay, there's a moose, but they go a little bit further and she sees it again and it's still on the trail. What I typically do will watch to see where they get off the trail so that I know they're gone, you know? But his tracks continued on the trail, and I was like, hmm. But at first, it looks more curious than nemesing. And she keeps seeing it on the trail. About five minutes later, I saw him again on another straightaway. But he was a little closer where I was like, yep, that's a moose. As usually, it's not an issue. And, uh, and then we kept going again. And then the third time I saw him, he was closer. You know, he was, he was probably 200 250 yards probably at that point till eventually she she can't do anything about it she has to stop and, and so this bull moose and bull moose you know they, they're over six feet tall at their shoulder they weigh you know around 1400 pounds generally speaking when bridget Watkins stops and the dogs stop in front of this bull moose what happens next so the dogs stay put and she goes around the bend and the moose is right there. And then the moose is charging right at her. I stood there in front of him and I remember thinking, this is really happening. She grabs her 380 millimeter pistol. And then I thought, you have to wait till he's close enough because I knew the gun that I was shooting was not going to stop him but I knew I had to let him get close enough to not kill me. She waits for the moose to get closer because she knows she's got a low caliber pistol and that the moose is going to have to be pretty close for it to be impacted by it. I just, I took a deep breath and when I was like, okay, he's got to be close enough, he's got to be close enough, you got to breathe, you got to breathe. And I was like, one, two, and I was like, take a deep breath, let it out. And then I squeezed. And in my mind, I thought, I cannot believe I'm having to shoot this moose. Like, this is terrible. This is not what you, this is not what you want to be doing. We know that at least two of the three first bullets fired hit the moose. 
And the moose just basically kind of flinches a little bit. When one of them hit his face, he kind of moved his face a little bit, like brushing it off. But the moose is still bearing down. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those moments that feels existential, right? Where everything is happening so fast, but also everything presumably like is also happening in slow motion. And what happens to everyone involved here if that is what's going on, if this moose is shrugging off bullets and Bridget Watkins is there with her dogs? So she fires off three shots and the gun is jammed. So she thinks the next thing that's going to happen is that uh, the moose is going to trample her and she's going to die. And I just tried to take off running. I had my head tucked because I thought he was just going to trample over me. He then runs right behind me, but he gets tangled in the dogs so he doesn't come over top of me. And I run to the back of the snow machine. But what has happened is the moose is now caught in a pile of gangline leashes and 10 dogs. And so Bridget Watkins and her dog handler, Jen Nelson, who was the person on the snowmobile, they are, at least for now, they themselves are, are safe. Yes. So she retreats back to where her dog handler is a few feet away and is trying to unjam her gun. Well, in the meantime, she gets her hand caught in the slide. And believe me, if I'm saying this wrong, I'm not a gun expert, but this is the way it was explained to me. But um, her hand starts bleeding. So she's bleeding all over this gun, trying to unjam it while the moose is stomping on her dogs. He thought we were a pack of wolves attacking him. So what I subsequently learned after this attack is five moose kills that week had happened within a five mile radius right there, five moose had been killed by wolf packs. And so he really, in my opinion, I guarantee he had been chased and attacked by wolves. Bridget Watkins and Jen Nelson are a few feet away and it's horrifying for them that these dogs that they train, that they love are, are probably going to die and that they're probably going to die too. And They seemingly can't do anything about it. She gets the gun unjammed and fires off three more rounds. And the moose is still fairly impervious to it. And so they're stuck and they have to figure out what is our next move. They have one bar of cell phone service. What do they do? She starts texting everyone she knows who lives anywhere remotely in the area She kind of sends this the same text. It says, help, help. I need help. Moose killing us. I need a gun. Need help now. And she just hopes someone is able to find them before it's too late. And so who finally, in the middle of nowhere, after all this waiting, finally shows up? A few months before that, they had met a man on the trail named Chris Jones. Chris is a 67-year-old retired pipeline worker who lives alone in a very remote place on the river. So they try to reach him. He had just kind of had his morning coffee and and he heard the phone ring and he didn't answer it. And But then it rang again and he's like, I better get this. And it was Bridget. And all he could make out was 
dogs, moose, and gone. He goes back to get a first aid kit because he can hear the dogs. He can hear all the chaos. And it's going to take him more than a half hour to get there on his snowmobile. Um, and uh, that's all they can do. She called, Bridget called her husband who, and, you know, he sent their GPS coordinates to the state troopers who dispatched a helicopter. But there's a good chance that it could be a situation where nobody gets to them in time. All right, Liz, coming up. Exactly what happened when help finally arrived on the scene. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Liz, this guy, Chris Jones, who lives in a cabin out in the wilderness in Alaska, what does he see when he gets to Bridget and Jen? Chris Jones rounds the corner. The first thing he sees are this pile of dogs that are all tangled up. They were all tangled up in a knot and in the middle of the trail and on the other side of them, maybe eight feet away, there was this moose standing there. And so I stopped maybe 20 yards from them, which was probably too close. And I was just surveying the situation and I had didn't see where Jen and, and uh, Bridget were, but uh, when I stopped there, I don't know if one of the dogs moved or barked but that moose walked over maybe six, seven steps and danced on those dogs for about 15 seconds and then uh. stopped and stepped off again. And that's when I said, okay. So I stepped, turned my machine off, stepped off, got my gun. He goes everywhere with his hunting rifle because of where he lives. You always have to sort of have a rifle on you. The women at this point, Bridget and Jen, had gotten permission from the state troopers that they could shoot the animal. So they take off, run and jump under a mound. And then Chris Jones aims his rifle at the moose, fires one shot and hits him in the heart. The moose drops to the ground and he says, it's down. What is the aftermath like? The moose is down. The threat has been eliminated. What does the scene look like? Bridget said this was the worst part of the whole ordeal. Was, um, that moment when you don't know if your dogs are alive. So she's got to go over to that pile. And that was probably the most terrifying moment. <clears throat> is because for the first time I was actually going to get to get up to these dogs and see, like, who was dead and who was hurt really bad. And the dogs start to move around. They untangle the dogs. And there's do there's eight dogs that are going to be injured in this, but 
four of them are seriously injured. The other four have facial lacerations. There's one dog who has a broken leg. There's another one who's got some internal injuries. And by now, people are starting to show up. All these people that she texted, some of them are showing up with dog kennels on snowmobiles. And it's kind of like a little bit of a triage situation. And she puts, she's got two dogs in uh, a couple of kennels and jumps on the back of Chris Jones's snowmobile and they take off. And there are other people who are also taking dogs with them. That's going to be 45 minutes before they even get to, I'd call it civilization. I guess we can call it that, although I'm not sure I would consider it civilization. Somewhere where there's a car. Her husband, Scotty, who by now has a truck and can take them to the veterinarian, which is in the closest sort of semi-bigger town. You know, they're already set up. They know they're coming, and they've got veterinarians at each station waiting for the dogs to come in. And as for Bridget Watkins herself, I mean, what's her condition after all of this? She is dealing with a lot of PTSD. She alternates between the couch and the floor. She's got dogs in kennels who are recovering and with all of their pills on top of their kennels and she's like sleeping on the floor and and trying to be there with them. She can't sleep. If she does sleep, she wakes up to the nightmare that a moose is crashing through the walls and her handler is the same way. Jen Nelson is also reliving this moment over and over they're both going through a lot of stress. Uh, by this time, it's it's February 4th, 5th, or 6th, and it's just a month away from the Iditarod. And with the Iditarod looming, what is her desire at this point to train to actually go and run this race? She doesn't know how she's going to get back on the sled. Everything inside her screamed that, you know, that getting on that sled was too traumatic and it was something that she shouldn't do. Um, So this happened on a Thursday. Sunday comes along and that was a day in which she was supposed to go on a training run. And Scotty, her husband, asks if she's going to run. So it was three days after the attack. (laughs) Um, because on the third day, my husband said, are you going to run? Like you're on the schedule to run, like on our schedule. Like this is when you're supposed to run. Are you going to run? He's been a big part of this whole dream of hers. Then he wants to know what she's going to do. She walks outside and she stares at the dogs. Their dogs are right outside their house. He was like, you saved their life. Like, you know, so he's trying to give me the confidence of like, you have six completely healthy dogs, like, that did not get attacked. You have six completely healthy dogs. And of the dogs that got attacked, they don't look bad. Like, they, like, are up and playing and running and jumping and eating. And he said, I think you should try and run them. And the dogs are all happy and they're playing and jumping. And, you know, it's kind of like nothing happened to them. My core group of dogs were still good to go. I had lots of conversations with lots of people and lots of people that are dog people and 
tons of veterinarians and they were like, yeah, I mean, like, you should do it. Like, you should, if you, yeah. And so it was at that moment, I then officially became the weakest link. (laughs) And so I said, okay, we're going to do it, you know. So her and Jen Nelson, they hold hands and they pray uh, for calmness and whatever crosses their path. So Bridget's path to this specific moment, Liz, I want to understand that better because I get that she cares very, very deeply about her dogs and the commitment required to even consider running the Iditarod at all is obviously extreme. But how did Bridget Watkins come to this sport to begin with? She was born in Arkansas Um, when she was five years old. Her parents decided it would be adventurous to move to Alaska. And so they did. And Bridget and her older sister convinced their parents to get a sled dog. Soon enough, they had two sled dogs and she started doing a little bit of racing. She was pretty successful. Her friends thought it was really cool. They wanted to pet the dogs and it was sort of something that, you know, made her kind of popular in school. Then as she became older, you know, she she won some events, but as she became older, her interests kind of changed. She started playing basketball, started being interested in boys, and the dog mushing thing kind of took a backseat. What really caused it to take a complete backseat was when she turned 15 and her parents divorced, and she moved back to Arkansas with her mom. She wouldn't be doing any dog mushing at that point. What was it like to go from Arkansas to Alaska, then back as a teenager in the middle of everything back to Arkansas? She hated it. It's a very different culture than the low 48. Um, and I was, I have never been a fan of really the hustle, the bustle, the people, the keeping up with the Joneses, the having to wear makeup or whatever. <laughs> like, it's just not who I am, you know? There's just too much pavement and people. <laughs> Yeah, Liz, I mean, too much pavement and people. We're talking about rural Arkansas here, to be clear, right? This is not exactly the big city, which tells us quite a bit about Bridget's natural comfort zone. But in Arkansas, she does go to college. She does meet the man she wants to spend the rest of her life with, Scotty Watkins. How do they get from Arkansas to Alaska? They get married and they move just outside of a small town on I-29 in Missouri, Um, He is a duck hunting guy there, and she's a nurse. Scotty kind of knows what's coming next. Uh, She wants to go back to Alaska, and she wants another adventure. So she gets a job offer at a hospital, the hospital in Nome, Alaska. She accepts the job, and they move their sight unseen. Nome is a completely different world. When you say the hospital, Liz, yeah, the point is kind of underscored that this is the sort of place with one hospital. Yes, and they desperately need healthcare workers. And so Bridget is needed, and she's feeling needed. She's feeling valued as a nurse, and she's also getting to reconnect Liz with her old life in Alaska where she grew up, and she grew up dog sledding, and also where her dad still happens to be. So how does Bridget get back into her childhood sport? After her 
junior racing career ended, her dad got pretty into dog mushing to the point where he became a successful dog musher um, who competed in multiple Iditarods and is pretty well known on the circuit. Uh, her dad also got remarried and her stepmom is Ali Zirkel, who is considered one of the greatest mushers ever. With her dad and her stepmom being very accomplished mushers, um, Bridget used to make the trek from Nome to Fairbanks to help train their dog. She would work with them in the kennel. And so much so that in 2011, she decided, I'm finally going to do this. I'm going to run the Iditarod. And just a few months later, she learned that she was pregnant with their first child, who they'd named Timber very Alaskan. And so the race would have to wait. And then, you know, she spent much of the next decade uh, raising timber and their other child, River, who came along three years later. Another very Alaskan name, yes. Very Alaskan indeed. And just working as an ER nurse uh, and being a wife. And that was pretty much uh, occupied a lot of her time. But she never sort of lost in her mind this dream about, about competing in the Iditarod. That was always still in her mind that she was going to do that. So in 2018, they started their own kennel. And it was all building toward getting her in the 2022 Iditarod. Okay, Liz, after the break, the 2022 Iditarod is officially underway. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So, Liz, the 2022 Iditarod started on March 5th. It is unlike any other event in the world, a race of over 1,000 miles of the most extreme and beautiful terrain known to man and woman across mountain ranges, frozen rivers, dense forests, desolate tundra, and windswept coastlines. 
This morning, we welcome you to the ceremonial start of Iditarod 2022, the last great race on earth. And we already have a winner, by the way, Liz, because Brent Sass took home the title and the $50,000 payday a couple days ago. And we also know that 23 other mushers have finished, but 19 are still on the trail as we're taping this, including Bridget Watkins. And so what do we know about the team that Bridget got to take with her? So one of the dogs was actually able to heal up well enough that he was good to go for the event. So that put them at 13. Um, they borrowed several dogs from another kennel and they are running with one of those borrowed dogs named Bugsy. And right now, Liz, as we're talking, Bridget Watkins is in the middle of the Iditarod. Right? She's racing yeah. this thing. She's with her dogs. She has left Anchorage. She is somewhere out there in this thousand-mile expanse. How is her family feeling about all of this as this is happening? I think, uh, so her kids are 10 and 7, and I think Timber knows what's going on, and he's, you know fairly interested and excited about it. I think their seven-year-old River doesn't know like what all this entails and is just sad that his mom isn't around. She'll be gone for, I mean, it's kind of a big, you know, to see your parent gone for a couple of weeks to, to dog mush, uh, you know, across Alaska is probably something that you and I can't comprehend, let alone, no. you know, uh, a seven-year-old child. I, I would say that her husband has been super supportive. They're a team, but he worries about her for sure. I don't, you know, he doesn't want to have to tell his kids that something happened to her. And I think he's aware of the dangers involved in this. And, but I think that he's really excited that she's able to finally do what she's, you know, been aiming for, for a good part of her life. And where is Bridget projected to finish, Liz? Like, as a race handicapper, how does that picture look? Well, she is not expected to be one of the top finishers by any means. Um, she probably if it takes, you know, the front runners eight days, uh, she's probably looking at at least taking 11 days. Um, and that's the way it is for rookies, not just someone who's just tried to overcome a moose attack. Rookies always um, can be expected to finish, you know, significantly pretty much later than the rest of the packs. She might finish dead last, but in her mind, the biggest thing is finishing, and that's the victory for her. It's crazy, you know, like, who does that? Like, who who survives that, survives it to tell it? Who then gets back out and does what I'm doing? And, and this was a tragic story, but didn't necessarily, quote, unquote, have a tragic ending. And so the story isn't over. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're living the story now. I kept trying to ask, I was trying to get a sense for a long time, like, what is the hardest part about this? And she would never really answer it. And then probably the last time I called her was right before she was leaving for Anchorage. 
and she had all the dogs packed up in their little drawers um, on the truck. And she said she thought the most challenging part of the race was to get to the starting line mm. just because of all she'd been through. I have no fear, strangely enough, about the race because there are so many people that are going to be out there with me. There's so many mushers and vets and snow machiners, and you never feel alone when you're out there. And Scotty, I think he kind of summed it up. Uh, Like the mindset, kind of like the family and and sort of maybe the faith he has that, you know, everything's going to be okay. I mean, he said that he said she's definitely strong willed. But at the same time, she's very tender and she needs things as well. She's not like this independent woman that says, I can do everything for myself. But she's very capable. Her capabilities, from what I've seen, are endless. Liz Merrill, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. And again, uh, before you go, that playlist of our favorite episodes of the entire year um, there are some, uh, yeah, funny, meaningful, uh, affecting shows that we're proud of in there. Um, that's in the show notes. Again, circulate it all around the information superhighway. Um, put it in all those tubes that uh, Al Gore made for us. And uh, yeah, in the meantime, I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.